0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Trip. Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Of course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me today is the writer, the uh, executive producer, and pretty much everything you can think of, of the Enterprise-era film, Star Trek Horizon, Tommy Kraft. Tommy, thanks for joining me on the NX-01.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. This is like a dream come true to be on the (laughs) NX-01.
0: I bet, yes. You're spending all your time on the NX-04 these days, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good ship, but you just can't uh you just can't top the original, you know? I got to go over and see those warp engines that uh trip, of course, is custom modified. <laughs> Definitely.
0: Well, Tommy, it's been it's been great talking to you recently, and of course, uh we I started talking to you after our mutual friend Alec Peters introduced us, and of course, Those listening to this show will remember Alec from the second episode, I believe it was, where we talked about Star Trek Axanar, which is a film he's putting together, and you're now working on a film which is set in the Enterprise time period, which I'm really delighted about because you don't see that very much.
1: Yeah, I mean, in fact, there might only be one other Enterprise-era fan film or fan series that I can think of, and I think... Enterprise was a wonderful show. It deserves the love and attention the original series gets and and that the uh twenty-fourth century gets, albeit not quite as much as the original series, but um you know it's uh Enterprise needs this kind of new storytelling to help breathe some fresh air back into it.
0: It definitely does. I'm I'm glad to see a resurgence in interest in Enterprise these days as well, both, you know, thanks to Netflix, thanks to the Blu-rays which have been fantastic. Actually, I just got my season four Blu-rays a few days ago. They arrived from the States and I watched the writer's panel on there, which has been really brilliant.
1: I've been looking forward to that a lot. I'm still, I I admit I'm far behind. I'm still on season two in terms of collecting the Blu-rays because they're just so darn expensive. But the, the first few seasons, the Blu-ray was really brilliant. And, The HD is just so gorgeous. It's nice on Netflix, but it's so much better when it's not streaming. And the special features have been really great, too. They've just been top-notch. And it's really cool to see kind of the process that went into creating my favorite Star Trek.
0: It really, really has been. They've done such a great job with that. Uh, One thing in Season 4 that they started introducing... Well, of course, Season 4 was the season where they really started... Uh, to connect Enterprise to the original series, Mani Koto came awesome. in. Of course, they brought Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens in, who who wrote many wonderful original series novels over the years. And they started bringing us more things like Orions. Uh, they brought really brought the Tellerites in, yeah. And they really started to set up the the path to the Federation especially with Babel I, United, and the Enar. And the other thing they threw in there, that was very interesting, but sadly didn't get developed, was the growing concern on the part of the Romulans that uh, these four powers were going to come together and the Romulans recognized that this could be a problem for them in the future. And your film actually centers around the Romulans quite a bit. And so... I wanted to have you on today to talk about Romulans and Enterprise, how they were used, what they were setting up, and maybe where they might have been going with that.
1: Well, totally. I think Enterprise used Romulans probably in some of the best ways of all the series. And it would have been so fantastic to see where they would have gone with that. In following seasons, because the setup it was just like it was such a tease and, yeah. in season four, and it's like, give us more, and then it gets canceled. right They could have had they could have done so much, and they already did a lot with where they were.
0: It was so frustrating, right that and they knew they were being cancelled, which I think that's yeah. what's especially frustrating for me with the Romulan elements is that they knew they were being cancelled. And they started giving us these very, very intriguing things, which we'll talk about today. Uh, Unification being one, which, of course, we know from TNG, with Spock being there on Romulus, working towards Vulcan and and Romulan reunification. So we got seeds of that in Enterprise, which was very unexpected that it would be going back to the 22nd century. And then, of course, what I already mentioned, the, the concern over the potential formation of the Federation.
1: Well, I always got the impression that the unification angle on Enterprise was from a much different perspective than when Spock wanted to reunite the people because, yeah. you know, the, the, the way of loss went about it, is, it was so cloak and dagger and nobody knew yet about the shared lineage except for apparently a few secret people. And I think had they reunited at that time, it would have certainly been a much different future for both the Romulans and the Vulcans. And it probably wouldn't have been the kind of peaceful process that Spock was trying to achieve.
0: No, probably not. So we'll talk more about that when we get to uh, that part of their appearances here. I thought what we would do first, though, because... We may have listeners who are enterprise fans who aren't necessarily Star Trek fans in general, or we may have listeners who came into Star Trek you know around Voyager for example or or even with Enterprise and may be familiar with the modern Star Trek maybe not so familiar with the original series. I do find this when i when I talk to people uh, and I think it's wonderful by the way that there are a lot of enterprise fans who just love this series they're they're not necessarily fans of of everything Star Trek but they love the cast they love the the feel of the show and the relationships and they really got into it from that angle
1: it's easy to do because enterprise enterprise it's the weirdest thing for me because it feels so much like Star Trek yet it feels so unique I don't know how to explain it other than that it it feels like Star Trek for me but I can see why it would be appealing to people who aren't Star Trek fans and maybe still aren't big fans of the other shows. It's just there's something unique about it.
0: Yeah, th- there is. There is. So, the background of the Romulans in Star Trek, a quick rundown here. Of course, they were introduced in the episode Balance of Terror in season one of the original series, one of the classic episodes. And then they appear two more times in the original series. The Deadly Years and the Enterprise Incident. Now, the Enterprise Incident is quite famous, of course, because that's where Kirk becomes a Romulan, right? With the prosthetics yeah. and the, the eyebrows and the pointy ears and and uh, seduces a female Romulan commander in order to steal a cloaking device. Now, the Deadly Years is one that I, I tend to forget about. H- how about you?
1: Yeah, I'm not that familiar with it either, to be honest.
0: I don't I don't forget about the episode. Of course the episode is where the crew is aging rapidly. But the fact that the Romulans appear in the episode is something that I tend to forget. It's sort of like the way I forget that the Klingons are involved in Friday's Child. It just Yeah. Like I it's not the primary thing there. In the Deadly Years, there is a conflict near the Romulan neutral zone where the Enterprise is surrounded by Romulan ships is attacked. But it, it's just not the key part of the episode. It, it's just... Right. Know, it's the it's Romulans there. Now, if you move beyond the original series, you get into the animated series, and the Romulans appeared in The Survivor, The Time Trap, which are both in Season 1, and then The Practical Joker, which is in Season 2, although Season 2 of the animated series is so short, I tend to just think of it all as one big... Lump of episodes, yeah. Then we go to the original series films, and we get Romulans in Star Trek: Five, The Final Frontier, which is again, it's kind of it's that weird Romulan with yeah. the, you know, the the pointy hairstyle, and that's kind of yeah. There's not really a Romulan, yeah. Per se,
1: I don't even really know if there's a point to that character being Romulan.
0: I think only that. They're trying to bring the key powers together for peace there on the planet. And so the Romulans are one of the key powers. But yeah, there's really not much else there, which is kind of the same thing that we get in the undiscovered country as well.
1: Right, yeah. You have that one guy that talks to uh, um, the president of the Federation.
0: Yeah. I always find that scene odd. Like, what is the Romulan government's position on the situation? (laughs) Why are you asking? Why is he here? (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Right. I wondered that too because it's <laughs> it's a Klingon issue, Klingon and Federation. I mean, I suppose they could have been interested because a war between the Klingons and the right. Federation would yeah. be uh, big news. Yeah. But I don't th- I don't know why the news would have necessarily gotten to Romulus that quickly.
0: For me, it was sort of yeah. What you're saying I think is is true, and it could be beneficial to the Romulans, right? If there were a war between the Klingons and, right. and Earth. And the federation but what got me was that there there's they actually bring the romulan ambassador into the president's office as part of the meeting yeah by the way what do you th- what do you think about it <laughs> it's it's like the episode of of alf where they have the psychologist come over and they all ask the the tanners all ask questions about their jobs or their school and they say what do you think about <laughs> this alf and alf is like huh me you want my opinion,
1: yeah, and it's just like <laughs> i i it doesn't really serve any purpose as i i I don't know why i I think the reason why I'm kind of blanking on this guy's involvement is because it doesn't serve any purpose. I mean, I've right. seen this movie a million times, but it just never really
0: I think the one purpose that it that it serves is that when you get to the end of the movie, then you find out that there is a conspiracy involving right. the Romulans to assassinate. Uh, the president, so so there is a conspiracy element there. It's just at, at the moment that it happens, it, it's it's surprising and it's sort of a tenuous connection, and so you feel like yeah, they're just throwing Romulans in there. Yeah, that's true. now then there's JJ's Star Trek, which of course does feature Romulans, but they're not the same Romulans, and these guys don't even represent the Romulan government, and therefore, yeah. You know, I,
1: I I don't understand the problem with JJ's Romulans. I I don't know why people dislike them. I, I I've never had an issue with them, other than the fact that they didn't have the forehead ridges. But then that was always kind of a uh, kind of mysterious to me anyway, in terms of what the point of those were.
0: Oh, well, the point of the forehead ridges, I think, were just to distinguish them from Vulcans visually on the screen. Right. That was pretty much it, because it doesn't make a lot of sense, right, from an evolutionary standpoint that they yeah. would somehow go to another planet after they're that evolved and suddenly grow forehead ridges. But yeah.
1: Especially in, this, yeah, right, especially because it would only be like, what, 2,000 years, give or take? Right, yeah. From the Not time they left Vulcan time, to yeah. the time of Enterprise. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what else we get, um, there, there's like a dead Romulan in generations and, you know, they kind of use the Romulans, they, they name drop the Romulans in generations. And then in Nemesis, of course, we have Romulans again. And there we are in the films. Now in TNG, they appear 21 times, DS9, 16 times, although they feel like more a part of DS9 than they do TNG, even though the episode count is lower because of their involvement in the war.
1: Right. Which was a great storyline, too. But, um, I don't know. I almost felt like that they were kind of. It's like Garrick or, um, uh, Ducat, you know, characters like that. Once yeah. you realize their actual guest number appearance, it's like I, I thought they were there the whole time. Exactly. Um, they just yeah. always seemed like they were there.
0: It does, from what, like let's see in DS nine, the first appearance of the Romulans. Well, the very first appearance is in the search because they get the, the cloak and such. Yeah. When you really get into the war stuff, um, you know, you get the Romulans involved and they come around like the die is cast. And of course in the pale moonlight, yeah. the famous episode where Cisco's really going to bring them into the war. Yeah. And from that point forward, like from in the pale moonlight forward, they're only in, I think, eight episodes. But yet, like you said, they you feel like they're a part of right. that story all the way through.
1: Well, that's how I felt about TNG. When I think about TNG and Romulans, I just feel like they're always there. for some I don't even know why, mm-hmm. come to think of it. They're just kind of synonymous for me.
0: I, I think for most people, Romulans are synonymous with TNG, because that's where they did get the most play after TOS. It's probably those big shoulders- And then Voyager is a weird one. Voyager has six episodes that involve Romulans in one way or the other, either as a hologram or an actual character, Uh, with the key ones being Eye of the Needle in season one, where they actually have the Romulan uh, that they beam over. But of course, there's a time displacement there. Uh, And then Message in a Bottle, where they have Romulans, but they don't really feel like Romulans. Why is that? I, they just feel like generic aliens to me in Romulan outfits. They don't act like Romulans.
1: Is that the one where the doctor went to the Prometheus? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I like the... Ra- so I just watched that a few months ago, that particular episode. But they didn't strike me as particularly un-Romulan. Hmm.
0: For me, they feel... just there, There's something about the way they present themselves that just feels not quite like the romulans that we, we became accustomed to in DS9 anyway.
1: They they I think they they're probably more uh proactive than the romulans were used to. Um, Maybe. Yeah. In terms yeah actually that's capturing kind of the like ship. I see
0: the romulans are very scheming and devious. They're not like the yeah. klingons. They're not going to come right at you.
1: Right. And this is what I loved about the Cardassians. They like the best combination of both.
0: Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, the Cardassians are are a great race, very fleshed out as a villain in Star Trek. Oh, yeah. So, So those are the appearances of Romulans in Star Trek. Altogether, they have 59 appearances, including the five on Enterprise. And so now let's talk about the Enterprise ones. Now, Balance of Terror, the introduction of the Romulans in Star Trek on the original series established that prior to... The, the 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 Romulan War, the Earth Romulan War, was actually fought with nuclear weapons, and they they had not seen each other. So when when the view screen comes on in Balance of Terror, and they see that the Romulans look like Vulcans, it's a shock to everyone, even to Spock. So right. that's in the twenty third century. So with Enterprise, if they're going to bring the Romulans on well, no one can see these guys. And I was surprised, I have to admit, I was surprised that in the second season, episode Minefield, they already decided to bring in Romulans. And when I heard that the episode was coming up, I was thinking, how are they going to do this? How are they going to protect that view screen moment and make sure that no one on the NX-01 sees Romulans? It was a big challenge for the writers. And, of
1: course, they did it very well.
0: Yeah, how do you think they handled that? How did did you feel about that uh, happening in the first place? And how do you feel about the way they handled it?
1: I thought they did a really good job with it because I don't even... Honestly, I don't think it's really a Romulan episode. Um, It's more about, I think, character development with Reed while also introducing a classic Star Trek villain. Mm-hmm. with the chance of bringing them on later, and then, of course, having a really good classic Star Trek story in the next episode. But the the way they were handled in that episode, overall, I thought was very well done.
0: Yeah, I think they handled it well also, uh, both in making sure no one saw them, giving a very mysterious feel to the Romulans, and I also... I really love the retro Romulan Bird of Prey design that they did. Oh,
1: well, I love that too. I heard, Now, a lot of people I saw complain about that. They said it was too futuristic compared to the one in the original series. Which, I mean, I guess it kind of is. But I, in that case, I just kind of, uh, you know, I dealt with it. I thought, it looks cool. Who cares?
0: Yeah, I, I see like you have purists who think that creatively once something is said, it can never be changed even, even if you're going backwards on the timeline. And And I understand the position of those people. I'm a creative professional myself, just like you are. And so my approach to things is always that I will give creatives freedom. Like I don't want them to just throw the playbook away and do something that just completely doesn't mesh at all with anything that we've ever seen. Right. When it comes to something like star Trek, that's this vast universe. But also I think that uh, you have to always make your material engaging to the audience of the time when you're releasing right. it. And so th- those of us like me who grew up with the original series, you know, I was watching star Trek long before the next generation was ever created And so for me, yeah, that Romulan warbird that we see in Balance of Terror, that's what a Romulan ship looked like. But they also did weird things in the original series, right, because of budgetary reasons where they had like this technology sharing agreement between the Klingons and the Romulans, which is sort of a way of retconning why (laughs) they used similar ships. And you see like the D7 crossover. But because we had become very accustomed to the Warbirds in The Next Generation and DS9 and Voyager and the green look of the ships and the green nacelles and and everything that they did with it, I think it was the right move with Enterprise in Minefield to take that aesthetic and then extrapolate backwards picking up the Romulan Warbird from the original series along the way and creating a ship that had the shape in many ways of that TOS Romulan Warbird or not Warbird but Bird of Prey and making it look like the ships that we know from TNG would have grown out of that
1: yeah and you know it's the kind of thing um Where you can imagine how that would happen, but you don't necessarily have to say it on screen because it would be awkward to find a place where a character can say or where you can show, um, well, the Romulans have this ship and this is how it's going to evolve into this ship. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing where you can look at the two and you can imagine quite easily a way in which these two ships are connected. You know, first first glance you say, well, maybe the one in the original series was a, a really old version. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're two versions of the same class. Maybe maybe they have different functions in the fleet if you really want to um, make sure everything stays in canon. Right. And the solution that I always went with was just that Enterprise is a newer show and they have to change some things a bit. And, you know, it's like I grew up on the on the Enterprise D and the Enterprise original series and Enterprise A. And I love those ships, especially the A. But I also love the J.J. Prize. Honestly, I think it's a beautiful take on the ship. And, um, you know, I, I just look at it as, well, it's a newer movie, newer audience, and they just updated the look. Yeah, And for me, anyway, that kind of suspending my disbelief is easy enough. But I guess for the purists, they like to have a a strong storytelling thread. But like I said, I don't think that's always necessary because you can just kind of imagine in your head what would connect these elements.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's actually, you, you were mentioning here about it being maybe a different ship in the fleet. There's the IDW alien spotlight comics. The Romulan comic actually establishes, it's sort of a setup to balance of terror. And it establishes that the, the, the bird of prey that we saw with the bird painted on the bottom in balance of terror was an experimental ship. So so they did have that, plus they had other ships at the time as well.
1: And that's actually, I think that's a good... And see, that's what I mean about... It's the kind of answer that you can either think of yourself or that might be good for extended fiction, like the comic books, because mm-hmm. that kind of thing, it's just hard to find a place for in a TV show or a movie where it's not going to de- distract or slow down the pacing.
0: Let me also ask you, because, again... Your film, Horizon, that you're working on does require you to create Romulan ships that would have fallen in, what would we say, like a fifth or sixth or seventh season of Enterprise if it had gone on. What kind of approach have, have you taken to thinking about what these ships are like? Have you just used the look that we got in Minefield or have you kind of taken some creative liberty with that as well?
1: Uh, it's been a little bit of both because I wanted to use the Enterprise Warburgs. It's just a really cool ship, but it's also not enough for a fleet. I think we really need other classes in there to fill out a combat fleet, and that's where a couple of other people on the movie have really come in handy in designing some some cool-looking ships that could be that's something we could imagine as a Romulan technology from that era, sometimes they look a little bit more basic, like they would be a predecessor to the original series ship, and sometimes they look a little bit more swooshy and advanced, like the like the Warbird and Enterprise. So, it's I mean, because it's really such a wide open playing field. Even in uh, next gen, we didn't see that many classes of Romulan ships over the years in that right. in that era. So, it's something that's actually really fun to go in and create
0: and you have to think if you because on screen in star trek when we do see alien ships we tend to see one design right maybe two because that's that's who we're encountering and of course um you know they can the the model makers back in the day and and the visual effects guys they don't have the budget to create you know 100 different models whereas with starfleet ships we have everything from the oberth class very small little ship right up to the Galaxy class uh, on the Next Generation, and we see both of those on screen. Of course, there's the Miranda class, which I call the workhorse, along with yeah. the Excelsior class. Those two are like the workhorse ships of the fleet because they just stay in service forever.
1: Yeah, they. I always wondered about that. It's like the, it's they're the two ships that never go away.
0: Right. <laughs> they're built really, really well, you know? It's yeah. <laughs> any technology, you've got that car, you've got that uh, television set, that microphone, there's always something that just never goes away, right?
1: Yeah. And the, I think the Galaxy class is like that too, because that stayed all through DS9.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so there's our ships, and and like you said, Minefield is really not so much about the Romulans, really. It was was kind of cool the way they teased us with the Romulans there. Yeah, it was definitely a tease. But we never saw them, we didn't interact with them, it was more about our own characters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the point was to tease the fans and say, this is the story arc that we're going to be pursuing at some point down the line, and... It was a good way to do it because it was a nice appearance for the Romulans, but it wasn't anything that that really had to be followed up right away. It was just a good little setup while giving us a good character story, too, between Reed and, and Archer.
0: Now, the next time we see Romulans on Enterprise, it doesn't come until Season 4, and that is part of the Cyrenite arc that we get with the Forge yeah. awakening. And of course, Kirshara, the episode which is named after uh, the book of the teachings of Surak, which they uncover and it helps put the Vulcans back on the path towards logic, which they were kind of straying from for a while. They were kind of becoming sort of a militaristic the the high command anyway was becoming sort yeah. of militaristic, and uh, we have this the the leader, Velas, who actually wants to to invade Andoria and the the Romulans don't play a whole lot into that story until the very end. But there's this very interesting little scene at the very, very end of that after the invasion of Andoria has been thwarted and Velasco goes into a cave and he meets a mysterious Romulan and the Romulan says reunification is only a matter of time. Now, at the beginning of the discussion, you shared some thoughts about how you thought maybe this ties into what we saw in Unification. Tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on that, and where do you think the writers might have been going with this beyond Season 4 and and taking us through the end of Enterprise?
1: Well, I think they were clearly trying to do some kind of story arc where um, there were parts of the Vulcan High Command, obviously Voss being one of them, that want to kind of maybe move on from these strict logical rules and reunite with the romulan people um, I mean certainly that would be a it would be a very hard thing to do for for everyone on both sides, but it's not the kind of thing that I would think would really go over too well with the general uh population of Vulcans and Romulans. So I think it was certainly a much more clandestine kind of thing as it was shown to be in that little meeting. And it was something that I would imagine would have eventually gone on to spark the Romulan War or at least be part of the spark.
0: Yeah, it, it, was, it was cool the way they did it because it's one of those just little twists at the end of a story uh, But that leaves you thinking that you're going to get more. And I guess that's one thing that was somewhat disappointing about it for me is that you think, oh, cool, a Romulan. And he mentioned unification, reunification. Where is this going to go? And then, of course, we move on to other stories and we don't really come back to it.
1: Well, I think like the minefield, minefield, the the unification was definitely a tease. Um, Because like I said, I think it's something that they would have addressed in later seasons as being a big part of the war. And, of course, we do get Romulans fairly quickly again after that. They just don't uh, go on as much about the unification thing.
0: Right. Although there may be a connection here because, like you said, maybe the Romulans have connections within the Vulcan High Command. And those particular people, like Velas, for example, in the High Command... Identified very well, I think, with a Romulan way of thinking. They didn't want to follow the pacifist, uh, right. logical path of Sirach's teachings. And so for those people within Vulcan society, uh, the Romulan uh, approach to, to, to government, the sort of totalitarian nature, was appealing but like you said, probably not for the majority of the Vulcan people. From the Romulan perspective, though, w- when we move forward... Thinking everything. Right, A good right. bargain. Yeah. And when we move forward in season four, we get to Babel One, United, and the Enar, the three-part arc that, that lays the foundation for what will become the Coalition of Planets and eventually the Federation. I think at this point, even in Kirshara... And really all throughout, maybe even if you go all the way back to Minefield, where the Romulans first encounter this human ship. And and they're monitoring because the Romulans are very much behind the scenes. They're devious. They're they're watching you, but they're not going to come at you like Klingons will, as I said earlier. They're starting to get nervous when they see humans and Vulcans working together, and they see the humans trying to to broker some sort of cooperation between the Vulcans and the Andorians. And then the Tellarites are coming in. So I think even in Kirshara and going back many years before that, the, the Romulans might be thinking like, we need to infiltrate the Vulcans. We need to bring them back to our side so we can nip this in the bite and make sure that this growing alliance doesn't happen.
1: Right, which of course backfires on them completely. And I think it's an interesting origin story for the Vulcans, too, because I was thinking about the general attitude and appearance of the Vulcans and Enterprise, and it was quite a bit different from what we're used to. And I was just wondering if I should go back on what I said about the general Vulcan populace not being accepting of, of Romulans, because it seems that, by and large, Vulcans weren't very... Friendly, well, they were. I guess they would never say they're friendly, but during the time of Enterprise, they they certainly are not by and large the same people we see later in the franchise. And I do wonder if they hadn't found the Kirshara, if that would have continued, and as a people, they would have been much more open to a reunification with a much more militaristic Romulan Empire at that time.
0: I can see that being the case by the time we get to the 24th century where Spock is there trying to work out reunification. If if what you say had happened, then 200 years later, yeah, I can see the Vulcan, the general Vulcan populace as being open to Reunification in the enterprise time period, I see like three different groups. there's the the militaristic people in the high command. then there are the Serenites who are being definitely shunned by by the government who sees them as a great danger to the society and wants to actually destroy them. But then I see the majority of the population is probably being somewhere in the middle. They're they're not right. as strictly logical as the the Vulcans that we know in the twenty third and twenty fourth century, but they're also not as extreme as the people that we see in the High Command.
1: And it would be much easier than to herd those people into a partnership with the Romulans right. for the uh, for people like Vlas in the High Command. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the kind the worst kind of uh, society. Or, population you can have in your society because it's people who don't necessarily have a strong opinion one way or the other and just want to be led. And, yeah. you know, they they, I think, it, it's clear that not everyone in the high command was okay with the things that Vloss was doing, mm-hmm. but they were also going right along with it, too. And I think that general pattern probably would have followed through to the population, generally speaking, as a whole.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where enterprise mirrored. And of course this was a decade ago when they were doing this story and it certainly holds true today as well, but mirrors what's happening in our own world where, Oh yeah. You know, I mean you do have people within our governments who are like Velas. You also have people who are pushing back against that because they know it's not in the best interest of the society. You do have outspoken people within the society who fall on both sides of that argument. And then you have the majority of the population who wants to live their everyday life and is tired of the back and forth. And so they don't speak up. And like you say, unfortunately, they are easily herded into whatever those who can gain the most power decide is right for this society.
1: Right. And it's it's interesting because... The issue with the Vulcans is very much almost, it's not religious, but it's almost a religious issue, and it it very strongly like you said, mirrors today in that we see a very strong sense of conviction from the right and the religious right, and then there's this idea that anyone on the other side, on the left, is like an, an enemy of that. Yeah. And so you have, you wind up splitting it down the middle, unfortunately, and it's it's kind of funny when Archer, uh, when T'Pol is talking about the Kirshara, I think it's what she's talking about, when they first beam down to the surface, and she says, you find this amusing, and Archer says, I find it familiar. Exactly,
0: yeah. That was a great it's, it's, line. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. It's one of my. It's one of the first things I noticed in that episode. I remembered. Uh, it's very, it's very true, and that's one way in which Star Trek, and specifically this time Enterprise, did a very good job of analyzing our own society from out from a race outside of it.
0: Most definitely, yeah. And not only is it a great line, but the way Scott Bakula delivers the line is just yeah it's so natural he sells it so well. But yeah, yeah he delivered familiar. that
1: perfectly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I can see that the the goal of the Romulans to prevent the formation of the coalition of planets and the Federation could play into what we saw in Kirshara. Now it definitely plays in to what we get in Babel One United and the Enar, where the Romulans are very actively, a couple of people, uh, a senator, Senator Vrax and Admiral Valdor, are using um, a drone ship that has holographic projectors on the hull so that it can mimic, in appearance anyway, it can mimic any ship it wants. Of course, uh, they can't really mask the energy signature, which becomes the giveaway. But right. they are really actively trying at this point to drive a wedge between the humans, the Vulcans, the Andorians, and the Tellarites to make sure that this union doesn't happen. And now I see this as where the writers definitely were setting up the Romulan War. And it's why I think that the Romulan War would have taken place probably in the sixth season of Enterprise.
1: Yeah, I agree, because season five would have been kind of like the the continuation of that setup, and it would have been where we see things really begin to heat up, and then towards the end of that season, probably around the season finale, I would imagine that would be when they'd officially kick off the war, and then season six and seven would probably be pretty much about that.
0: Right, which would have, I guess, somewhat mirrored DS Nine, right, with the Dominion War, which right season six and seven were the the the, the big seasons for that.
1: They could, have, I think, they could have possibly topped DS Nine in terms of their quality of just in general storytelling. Not to say that DS Nine was bad in any way, but I think they could have definitely taken it to a new level in Enterprise, especially because they were finally. Beginning to be okay with serialized storytelling. Right. And not having to go, you know, 10 episodes or more in between a story about the Dominion War. Um, and in this case, in the Romulan War. And I think it could have been a really interesting take for Star Trek.
0: I think they could have done something that would have been more appealing to the general Star Trek fan base than the Dominion War was. A difference I see is with the Dominion War, I mean, you get these big battles and, and it's a really dark story, but it's really about our characters and how the war affects our characters more right. so than it is about uh, space battles and and that just sort of the the general science fiction action type storyline. Whereas with the romulan war and enterprise i think that they would probably have it it still would have had character elements to it of course but i think it would have probably slanted a little bit more towards the battles themselves more like the zindi yeah. arc did as opposed to what Which was, deep space nine did
1: yeah and the zindi arc was great too because it that they still managed to bring a lot of character development in there, especially for Archer um, and how that changed his character over the course of that season, um, especially towards the end when he raids the alien ship for the parts. Yeah. And, you know, that I thought that was a classic. That was a great episode because it was the moral play at its finest. And it was a question that there isn't a good answer to it, and sometimes you know we had to see our our hero do something that wasn't very nice, and I thought that was a very good way to to showcase a great moral dilemma. And I think the Romulan War would have certainly brought that too, but I did love the Dominion War too. I thought they did a great job with that. I just wish that you know over over the course of it they could have kept up with it more instead of having to try and not be serialized yeah. and take so many breaks in between episodes about the war. I think that's a storyline that when you go back and watch it, you should just watch the Dominion episodes, and it works really well. But if you watch the entire show, I think, um, in order from start to finish, the, the war angle feels really awkwardly paced. And I would hope, I think Enterprise would have amended that.
0: Yeah, I think Enterprise would have probably stuck with the storyline more from week to week. Although in the Zindy arc, you know, they do throw in episodes like North Star, which are not related to the the war story of the Zindi arc. Yeah. Uh, they do throw but, some in. I
1: mean, I, I guess I don't know the exact number, but... I do know at least it felt like in DS9 the last time I went back and rewatched it probably a year or two ago from first episode to last that they would have some really great episodes about the Dominion and the Dominion War especially earlier on in the show um and then they would take practically an entire season off from really talking about the Dominion or they'd take quite a few weeks off and I don't I think that In terms of watching it from week to week, it kind of really made the story lose some of its impact.
0: Yeah, from week to week, yeah. Well, I feel that way about the Zindi arc as well. People tell me all the time, they say, I hate the Zindi arc. It's like the worst season of Star Trek. And I tell them that go to Netflix or get Blu-rays or DVDs or whatever and watch it as quickly as you can. Straight through, like take a week and watch the entire third season of Enterprise and you'll find out that it's actually a well put together story that really pulls you along. But if you watch it, when I watched it in first run from week to week, yeah, I felt like this is kind of maybe taking too long. For me to yeah. get through this, yeah,
1: and I think that might be part of the problem. Is I don't really remember it. That while well, watching it, I mean, I remember it, but I don't remember my reaction watching it first run. Mm-hmm. I just remember how I felt when I rewatched it again about a year or two ago, and I was like, "Man, I was I was blasting through episode after episode, like six episodes in a day." And yeah. that's what that, I. Do. I mean, yeah. yeah, watching it that way, that was holy crap. That's that's a great arc, and yeah. especially. Once I went back and then rewatched it for the second time, um, I could see how well they put it together from first episode to last with the character arcs and between Degra and Commander Dolem throughout the whole season.
0: The, the, the same is true with the Dominion War a bit as well, that if you watch the Dominion War quickly, you find that in a lot of those episodes that seem like they don't have anything to do with the war... They actually do tie in because the story, as I said, is so much about the characters and how the war is right. impacting them on a personal level. That a lot of those stories uh, do still have elements in there. I think with uh, with the, with what DS Nine was doing though is that part of it was the time that it was being made. You know, they were doing serialized storytelling at a time when it wasn't the commonplace thing on television yeah. that it is now. And so they were getting away with a lot. And I think they were getting yeah. away with a lot because the studio's attention was all on Voyager and they were just letting the DS9 writers do what they wanted to do. Right. But I think they still felt like like we can't go completely serialized here. We do have to keep some of the familiar, episodic nature of Star Trek in place while we also build this other story.
1: But imagine how great that arc would have been uh, if it could have been completely serialized, yeah. I think that could have been really cool. And honestly, I think that kind of serialization could have benefited Voyager a lot. Oh, too. yeah. Because yeah, especially with their situation, man, it just seemed like week to week, the ship would get blown to pieces and the next week it would be fine.
0: It's the Dukes of you know? Hazard effect. That's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> General Lee is always okay after a commercial break.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that works. It's like the magic. Cooter's really good, know. Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> Better than any mechanic I know. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, at the end of DS9, they did a really good job with this. We're actually, Matthew and I are doing a series on The Orb, which is our DS9 podcast. We're doing a series on there right now called The Final Chapter, and once a month, we are digging really deeply into each of the final nine episodes of DS9, which make a 10-hour arc, where they just really blasted through the end of the series there. Yeah. There's so much there. And so at the end of the series, they kind of did what you were talking about, but you're talking about them doing it over the course of Yeah, those of like were two 10 seasons. great episodes. I
1: love those episodes.
0: Yeah, it's and brilliant, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that kind of attention... For Enterprise, we got a taste of that with the Zindi arc, yeah, and especially towards the end of the season, once the ship got uh, beat up, and, um, and then if we had, and then we started to see that again with the Romulans, and I think season five it would have picked up some, and then by season six, like you said, it would have really been full tilt, and that man, just thinking about the what ifs makes me so sad, yeah, because there's so much potential there.
0: Well, c- coming back here to the Romulans and Enterprise, which is, of course, our main topic today, we both agree probably season six would have been the Romulan War. Now, the only problem with that is that it doesn't really work out on the timeline if you're going right, to stick to the Right, that's canon. what I was thinking, too. What would you do as a creative, as a writer? Uh, what would you do to make that work? Would you jump ahead uh, for the next season?
1: That I mean, that's a really hard thing to do because... There have been occasions where shows have done time jumps, and it's one of those things that either works really well or doesn't work at all. And, you know, if... Of course, this isn't feasible at all, but I would be tempted just to say, you know, give Enterprise 10 years and just do it all real time. But... I mean, since you can't do that, I think the best way that you would be able to line it up on the timeline would be to have Enterprise out of action somehow for a couple of years. Maybe Mm. some, you know, of course we have to have a temporal vortex, um, but something like that where they find themselves suddenly in the middle of this war and it's now, of course, lined up with what we know from the Star Trek timeline. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it would jump the entire ship ahead Mm -hmm. a number of years, and not so much that they're completely out of it, but enough that playing catch-up is a really good uh, couple of episodes that you can have. It could be a whole arc, and then you also have the entire arc of the Romulan War thus forward, and also... Leading into the founding of the federation,
0: that's interesting.
1: I would say like a four-year temporal vortex, something like that, because or say 20, 20, or 28, 29, 30, or 60? I don't know. 50 because they went 57, right? was uh, 2157 was the year they went off?
0: I believe, the the end of enterprise.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the year. Not counting these are the voyages. That was the year they were in when the show ended, right? Uh, twenty
0: one fifty four. I think it would have been. Well,
1: was it fifty four?
0: Oh wow. Oh, are you talking about the end of these are the voyages, or are you talking about the end of um, uh,
1: of, uh like, terra demons prime, terra prime? Demons.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. De- um, let's see. Demons Terra Prime would have been 2154. Five January twenty second twenty one fifty five is is Terra right. Prime. So yeah.
1: So yeah, I would have jumped ahead, you know, like four years, which would put them in fifty nine, mm-hmm. and then that gives you, or maybe even five years, and it gives you a good year or two for season six and seven to really focus on the Romulan War and the founding of the Federation. And there's just, especially being Star Trek, there's so many ways you can do that.
0: That's an interesting idea. I've never thought about that. But yeah, that I've kind of typically thought about the, like, you go dark, you come back, and it's X number of years later, and then you pick up the story. But but actually, from a Star Trek perspective, and to make it more exciting and interesting and put a twist on it, that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah.
1: Well, there have been shows that have uh, alias. Did you ever see alias back in the day? J.J. Abrams show?
0: I've seen a few episodes but i I wasn't really a viewer of it no
1: oh i love that show I've, i think i've seen that so, show three or four times over but about halfway through they did a big reset where sydney bristow the main character woke up there she she had this huge fight in her house it was the climax of the season and uh she found out that her best friend was was replaced by a double agent and And she passes out in her house and then the next scene she wakes up and it's like two or three years later and she finds herself in China not knowing what happened and that's where the cliffhanger leaves you. And the rest of the show, of course, takes place from that, that point on. And if you can do that kind of reset well, it can be a really interesting storytelling device and especially in the case of Star Trek and with Enterprise, that could have been something really interesting where the ship finds itself just suddenly jumped forward, like that four or five years in time. And, of course, Starfleet thought that they were lost, and now they're back, and they find themselves having to deal with this war. Could be, man, now I'll have to add this to my list of uh, <laughs> fan films. Maybe it's the sequel. Yeah,
0: that, that would be cool. I do remember Desperate Housewives ended up at a point where like, the writers... I guess had written themselves into a hole. And so this tornado comes through after like four or five or six seasons, whatever it was, and wipes out the the houses on the street. And then the next season they come back and it's like four years later or something like that. So maybe, yeah, I mean,
1: what else, <laughs> maybe a space tornado <laughs> do do? comes through and swoops right. up the
0: NXO one. It could also be like a little wizard of Oz twist there and then throws them <laughs> into the future.
1: And then they have to they have to click their their red uh boussard collectors together and <laughs> yeah. then they can get back home to Kansas.
0: <laughs> That's right. All you have to do is click the Bussard collectors together three times. <laughs> yes.
1: And then of course we have to sing, I do believe in Romulans, I do, I do, I do <laughs> believe in Romulans.
0: That would be great. Yeah. All right. Well, Tommy, any final thoughts on Romulans on Enterprise here as we wrap up?
1: Um, not too much. I think we've covered the bases. Just that it would have been really cool. Uh, one thing I did hear read somewhere that they were looking at having to father, her yeah. that her father would have been a Romulan right. in season five, and that could have been a really interesting story arc. Yeah, it would have us. been
0: interesting to that we're going to make to half Romulan. Yeah, moving forward. Yeah. So.
1: And, you know, seeing how she would deal with that and how um, other people might deal with it, too, with this new conflict with the Romulans. Is she trustworthy? Some people might ask. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there. But again, it's stuff that, you know, we'll never know, sadly.
0: That combined with the fact that Shran was going to reportedly become a member of the Enterprise crew. Uh,
1: now, I'm not as sure forward. how I feel about that, because... I don't I don't know what the dynamic there would be because I couldn't see either he or Archer taking orders from the other. And True. Yeah. You know, it's like what what could he add that that wouldn't make him stale or that would make him being there every week worth it? I mean I love the character and I love Jeffrey Combs. But it would have, certain, I think it would have been hard to handle, but if they could have done it right, it certainly would have been nice.
0: Well, he would have brought more excitement to the ship, because think about all those Andorian fight scenes in the corridors. <laughs> That's true, yeah.
1: <laughs> he goes around beating everybody up that disagrees with him. I wouldn't
0: mind. All right. Well, Tommy, thanks for joining me today. Before I let you go, tell everyone where they can find you. Tell everyone uh, just a little bit about your film. And, of course, people can find out all about your film by listening to Continuing Mission, episode seven, where you and Mark Bowers are on with me to talk about that. But tell people where they can find out what you have going on.
1: Well, um, I have a Facebook page for the movie It's uh, facebook.com Slash ST Horizon Or you can just go Facebook and search For Star Trek Horizon We have our official website which is StarTrekHorizon.com I have a personal Twitter Tommy Dog D-A-W-G And I'm trying to get better at tweeting more often But uh, other than that Those are my main venues um, And Horizon Star Trek Horizon is an enterprise-based movie that takes place in the year 2160, a year before the founding of the Federation. And it follows the crew of the NX-04 Discovery as they fight some very big battles in the Romulan War and uh, as they make some startling discoveries about uh, the big benefactors of the war and so on. So if you're interested in Enterprise, can, Enterprise Continuations, please do check it out and let me know what you think.
0: Excellent. Yeah, definitely everyone go check it out. It's, it's really an interesting story, and Tommy is doing just really brilliant work on it as well. And if you love Enterprise, you, you're going to love what's going on there. So go check that out. All right. Well, thanks again, Tommy. I look forward to having you back on sometime soon.
1: Yes, sir. I look forward to it too. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope everyone enjoyed hearing Tommy's perspective on the Romulans tonight. I know I certainly did. But these Romulans aren't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Star Trek 2009 5th Anniversary. So I wrote a whole big thing about... All that stuff. Where's Gary Mitchell? Why are there Romulans? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and why is Tyler Perry in this movie? Earl Grey. Ferengi. Um uh, can I have a root beer, please? <laughs> <laughs> They're all examples of ferengi Dad. Not being Ferengis, so sorry, that was a terrible, terrible. <laughs> Earl Grey, now with 90% more Ferengi impersonations. <laughs> the orb. Great O'Brien
1: Episodes. You know, obviously, too, I I love the fact that that Miles is not afraid
0: to kind of bend the rules and and do what he thinks is right. The Ready Room.
1: The sound of her voice.
0: It's a masterful portrayal of the
1: working-class hero kind of thing that O'Brien is without making me feel, you know, uh, guilty and 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 without coming across as too heavy-handed.
0: To the journey! Darkling rewrite. It's that awkward moment when you accidentally call your teacher mom in class. I hate to tell you, but I don't know if I ever did that. Yeah, no, I me mean neither. <laughs> <What? laughs> Sorry, dude. Warp five. Walks. And you see that, I think, in, in the way that he cares for his patients and he takes care of them with what we would consider very strange remedies. And yet, He's taking care of the whole person, and I really, really like that. Commentary, Trek Stars. The Mount Rushmore of Trek. No, I mean, in all seriousness, like, Chris, every time that you make a joke about Robin Leffler, I myself think, yes, he's right. Oh, wait, he's making a joke. Oh, that's too bad. Because he's right. Continuing Mission. Star Trek Horizon. The main reason
1: I wanted to do the movie was to close out storylines that Enterprise didn't get a chance to. I felt like it was kind of my contribution to the show that meant a lot to me. Literary Treks. Mission Gamma Twilight.
0: I don't think that Bashir knows how to be in a mature relationship. When Ezri starts exerting her own identity more, he doesn't know how to deal with that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So, check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We have new shows for you each day, and you can even get them in a single feed by subscribing to the Trek FM Complete Master Feed. You'll also find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox Zune, and BlackBerry. We're now also on Spreaker, where you can grab a very nice embeddable player if you'd like to share an episode with readers of your own blog or website. And we're on Swell, which is like Pandora for podcasts. You can stream through the browser with Swill, but primarily it's a smartphone app that learns what podcasts you like, what type of things you like to listen to, and then it serves up great content for you. So check these different listening options out. And besides these, of course, you can stream and you can also get the RSS feed from our website if you want to drop that into your favorite podcatcher. If you're on iTunes, by the way, be sure to visit our new home in the iTunes store where you'll find our dedicated artist page where we group and highlight our shows and episodes to help you find past content that you may not have heard. With close to a thousand episodes now, we have a wealth of interviews and discussion waiting for you. And the quickest way to get there is to simply go to iTunes.com slash now, if you'd like to send us some feedback on today's show, we'd love to hear from you. There are a number of ways you can do that. You can go to our website at contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. If you go to the show page for this episode, you'll see a large item in the left sidebar that says send us voicemail, and you can use your webcam's microphone and upload it to us right there from the page it's very simple and we'd love to hear your voice now if social media is your thing you'll find us on facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm you'll find us on twitter under username trekfm and you'll find us on google plus where we have a new community with a really long url that i'm not even going to try to read out here on the show. But if you go to our website, you'll see a little button for it. And if you're on Google+, uh, just look up Trek FM, Trek.fm and you'll find us there. We'd love for you to join our community. If you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y, and you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, you'll find me on quite a few shows. There's Literary Treks, which I do with Matthew Rushing about Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. Matthew and I also do The Orb together about DS9. I have a show called Continuing Mission, which is about fan films, and Matterstream, which is about the world inspired by Star Trek. And lastly, you can find me along with other hosts from all of our shows each week on The Ready Room, where we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. So check these out and find out what we're talking about there. Before I let you go, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They are the best source for audiobooks you'll find online. They have more than 150,000 titles waiting for you right now. They add hundreds of new titles every single week, new releases, current bestsellers, classics, lots of Star Trek books as well. And as a TrekkAfilm listener, we have a special offer for you. You can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. And all you need to do to get that book is to go to Audibletrial.comslash Trekkafilm and sign up. Choose whatever book you want, get that for free. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that book. But by supporting Audible, first of all, you'll be getting the best selection of audiobooks around. But you'll also be helping us keep Warp Five coming to you. So try it out, AudibleTrial.com/TrekAFilm, and we really thank Audible for their support of Warp Five and the network. I'd also like to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album Smooth Federation. If you like this jazz cover of "Where My Heart Will Take Me" that we play here on Warp Five, you're gonna love Andrew's album. Besides this piece, he also has nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek, so go pick up the album in iTunes or on Amazon. It's a really great album, really nice stuff there by Andrew. I know you're going to love Smooth Federation. Well, that's all we have for today, everyone. Thanks again to Tommy for joining me. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening, and join me again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.